0: Welcome to FAIR Conversations, a podcast about the future of food for investors. I'm Philippa Thornton, ESG analyst at FAIR, and today we are continuing our discussion on what the UN has called the silent pandemic within our food system that's threatening food security, the environment, industries from farming to pharmaceuticals, and global public health. Antimicrobial resistance, or AMR, is the emergence of superbugs that are resistant to antibiotics. It's currently responsible for around 700,000 deaths a year, and the World Bank estimates it could wipe 11% off the world's GDP by 2050. Animal farming is a key player in this crisis, given that over half of all antimicrobial use happens within animal agriculture. AMR is already a slow-moving global pandemic, and tackling overuse and misuse of antibiotics in livestock is an essential area of focus in its control. Here with me today to discuss how we can move beyond antibiotics and farming systems is Dr. Natalia Roth from DSM, a company focused on solutions for health, nutrition and bioscience, who are developing novel animal health products that help reduce the need for antibiotics, and Dr. Kristin Ryer, a Veterinarian and Professor of Veterinary Epidemiology and Population Health at the University of Bristol who works alongside veterinarians and a variety of livestock stakeholders to help reduce antimicrobial use on farms in the UK. In the second instalment of FAIR's two-part series on AMR, we'll be looking at what alternative products are available on the market and what shifts need to occur on farms in order to reduce the amount of antibiotics used.
1: The content or views in this podcast do not constitute investment advice and any views expressed are those of the contributor.
0: So Natalia, Kristen, welcome to Fair Conversations. I'm going to jump straight in as we've got a lot to cover and discuss today. So first question, animal farming is a key contributor to the AMR crisis, given that over half of all antimicrobial use happens within animal agriculture. What do we need to do to reduce antibiotic use on farms? So I think I'll come to Kristen first.
1: Thanks, Philippa. And it's great to be here with you guys today. I guess I'd like to start by saying that It's not as straightforward as antimicrobial usage resulting directly in antimicrobial resistance. If it were, I think we would be a bit further Mm -hmm. forward on this journey, but there certainly is a relationship between usage and between resistance. And what we know about antimicrobial resistance in the human realm is that overwhelmingly it comes from human usage and resistance that's already circulating in the human population. Mm -hmm. But certainly animal keepers and veterinarians need to be good stewards of these very important medicines. Globally, we know that antimicrobial use in animals is predicted to be on the increase, especially in the BRIC countries, but it doesn't have to be this way. So data released this week in the United Kingdom show that we've been able to reduce antimicrobial use in the livestock sectors by 52% since 2014. And there's been a 79% reduction in the use of highest priority, critically important antimicrobials, so really important last line antimicrobials that are used for infections that other things can't treat. And this is the sixth consecutive year of decline of those medicines in the livestock industries in the UK. So we've been able to do this by keeping animals healthier, challenging farmers and veterinarians to be brave about treating and only using antibiotics as therapy. So growth promotion has been illegal in Europe since 2006, using antimicrobials for that purpose. So really, we want to reserve them and use them in the same way we do in the human population. So if an animal is sick, they deserve to be treated for their own welfare. So we want to save them for that therapeutic use. And now we see resistance in the livestock pathogens falling as a result of all of our hard work. So that's very encouraging.
0: Yeah, it's great to see that, particularly on those most critical antibiotics, that we are getting those reductions. Natalia, do you have anything that you would like to also add to this?
2: I absolutely agree uh, with uh, Kristen. And I think it is important to keep animal healthy and to work a lot on the prevention part just to avoid the use of antibiotics of course if animals are get sick they are uh, need to be treated and they need antibiotics but for me an important point is just to identify the problems before the disease occurrence on farm using existing as well as novel uh, technologies like next generation sequencing as a possibility with the evaluation of gut microbiota that indicates the disease before it happens with uh, the certain biomarkers that are molecules that show that there is a problem in the gut with early stage of inflammation that we can evaluate and then we maybe can predict disease. This will lead us to the status that we wish to have our animals and grow our animals uh, strong and healthy
0: moving on from that alternatives to antibiotics are you know one of the things that we can use to reduce antibiotic usage in farming and this includes a range of products i mean you've touched on a few just there as well as different approaches to farming as well so i'd like to talk a little bit about the different types of alternatives and also get your thoughts on the best approaches to using them so i'll come to you again natalia could you talk us through what alternatives are available on the market and then which are the most widely used by farmers at the moment? Um, Yes,
2: I maybe would like to start with the categorization of antibiotics, Mm -hmm. because if you talk about alternatives to antibiotics, there are three groups. First group is growth promotion. Those are the antibiotics that are administered to healthy animals to make them grow faster or utilize their feed more efficiently. And they are so-called antimicrobial growth promoters. So we have alternatives for this group of antibiotics available. Those are organic acids, probiotics, uh, plant-derived products, essential oils, enzymes, and because this group of antibiotics was banned for most uh, large Meat producing and animal producing countries, uh, we know that those alternatives uh, were able to provide support. Actually, we mm-hmm. can produce animals without antimicrobial growth promoters. Solutions are available, those niches to be implemented in the countries that do use still use um, antimicrobial growth promoters. Mm-hmm. Another group of antibiotics is the disease prevention. Here we have, again, the prophylactic use, where there is no symptom of disease, but there is a risk of disease. And antibiotics can be provided to this group of animals. And there is also a metaphylactic use, where there is appearance of disease for small size of animals in a larger group, but antibiotics can be applicated and provided to entire herd and flock. And For this group of antibiotics, we have also um, alternatives available. Most used alternative is vaccination for all animal species uh, to disease prevention. To prevent digestive tract diseases, there are some solutions, probiotics, prebiotics. Again, phytogenics, organic acids. There are also immune modulators like antibodies for passive immune response that can be used and uh, are available. Um, We know that there is a restriction of prophylactic and uh, metaphylactic use of antibiotics approaching in the European mm-hmm. Union. From the uh, January 28th next year, there will be a ban of the treatment of group animals for prophylactic and metaphylactic use and the ban uh, of the use of critically important antimicrobials for human medicine. So we are prepared and we hope we can provide solutions to support the industry to lower the use of antibiotics for pre- disease prevention. And there is a third group of, of antibiotic use. This is disease treatment. And to be honest, I do not really see a really solid alternative to this group mm-hmm. of antibiotic to say, okay, we have another potential substance that can replace antibiotics. We will not need them. Unfortunately, it is not the case. And this is the reason why we need to reduce Uh, antimicrobial resistance to keep antibiotics work as a treatment also in the future.
1: Natalia is exactly right about that. You know, I think using them as a therapy and having them there and knowing that they're going to work when we need them is the reason why should have antibiotics and so as as you said natalia moving away from prophylactic use or metaphylactic use and preventing disease in other ways like keeping animals healthy is so important so things like vaccines are really important as we're learning globally at the moment you know that's in the news headlines all the time and it makes farmers and veterinarians and people dealing with animals think about that as well but it's sometimes tough For farmers to pay up front for a vaccine, you know, at least we've been given our vaccines for free in many countries, and yet that's not really offered to farmers and sometimes vaccines are more expensive than the antibiotics and we have to ask a question if that's the right way around if we really are looking to prevent disease. Um, and farmers are in very tight industries where sometimes the price of production is really high and they're spending more keeping the animals well and healthy and fed than they get paid back for their products. And I think that's something that we have to think about as well and really address in the price of food and the price of what it takes to create that food. And diagnostics are really important. Similarly to human medicine, knowing what you're treating is is really important. Antibiotics should only be used for bacterial infections. They don't need to be used for viral infections unless we think that's going to go on to a sort of bacterial infection. So having rapid diagnostics and having diagnostics that we can really believe, again, you know, whoever thought that Everybody would be testing themselves every time we had a cough or a fever at the moment. And we don't, don't do that for flu and we don't do that for the common cold. And we don't do that for lots of other viruses that we've seen. But now we're all really used to doing our own diagnostics and bringing that onto farms and addressing some of the issues with having good diagnostics for all of those different diseases that farmers deal with are also so important.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you both. That's really, really interesting points there. I think coming to you, Kristen, on on this point around vaccines being more expensive than antibiotics and actually being quite a a cost to farmers it'd be great to to sort of get a bit more insight into that and your work with farmers to reduce antibiotic usage and and kind of maybe a, a little bit more detail on how diagnostics fit into that because I think from my understanding previously diagnostics were often a barrier whereas vaccines were cheaper so yeah perhaps expanding on that.
1: Well it's it's a little bit tough with diagnostics because they we need to have a different one maybe for all of the different illnesses that we face and there are some diseases that it's really difficult to Mm -hmm. So some that some even bacterial infections where they have to be grown under very specialized conditions in the lab, they take a long time to grow. It was amazing to see how quickly in this pandemic that vaccines were produced, that diagnostic tests were produced, but none of those are perfect. And I think it's also making making people realize that if you have a positive lateral flow test in the UK and a negative PCR and prevalence levels are so high, maybe you actually do have the disease, even though there might've been a misstep in the lab and you might've gotten an incorrect result from the lab. (laughs) These tests are not always perfect. And we have some ongoing work in the livestock sectors, looking at diagnostics, point of care diagnostics, things right on the farm to see where they fit in and how the social science is around that. So not just the way the test works and the technology behind the test, but also what it means if people are going to use that test, how it's going to be used on farms. So things like the amount of time that it takes, if you want to, if you're standing by the animal and you think it has this illness and you want to treat it right then, because you don't want to leave it suffering, you're not going to wait for eight hours for a test result to come back. Right. You want to treat it right then and be able to do something about it. And the same is true in human med. If you go to your doctor and then he says, Well, I'll call you back in four days, but you're really suffering. You want a treatment right then, right? So it's addressing those sorts of issues, how fiddly. Tests are on farm, you know, farmers are experts in managing animals and managing the weather and understanding all of that, but they probably haven't done a lot of pipetting tiny amounts of liquid around or where do you stick this probe in their nose or (laughs) wherever, you know, as we've all learned to do these tests. It takes some upskilling and it takes some ability and some time to be able to focus on that. So we're thinking and looking really closely at what are the human factors that are involved in this as well. And I think, you know, I mentioned vaccines and it's important, again, to be able to have ones that will work and also to be able to address housing factors, ventilation, crowding, welfare on on farms. And these are things that require money, frankly. So it's easy to Mm -hmm. say to a farmer, oh, these barns are a bit drafty, knock them down and build new ones. But when that farmer is losing money, selling their product they don't have the capital to be able to do that. So I think it's, it's important that we think about that and think about what we really value and antimicrobial resistance has been coming to the forefront over time and welfare, animal welfare is coming to the forefront, but we see decisions being made about imported products and things from other countries that might not have the same welfare standards, might not have the same antimicrobial usage standards that we have. And so we have to think about what we're bringing in and what, how we price those commodities versus what we're expecting our own farms in our own countries to do.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think that's a really really good point as well thinking about how these sort of alternatives and all these other approaches to farming are nested within these multiple different sort of yeah social political factors building on that which which options are currently available but are not yet widely used so i'll come to natalia <laughs>
2: Yes, we, we are talking about what is available, but there are there is more available and not used. And of course, there are some mm-hmm. reasons uh, for that, right? So uh, to name the substances, I would uh, point out on antimicrobial peptides, bacteriophages, as well as um, antibodies that can be used more, but those substances are not used widely. Why? First reason I would tell maybe there is a variability in the research outcome. For example, antimicrobial peptides. Uh, there, are, there is a large diversity of the source where antimicrobial peptides can come from. And the research is very different on different substances. So if the group of substances is very complex, it is difficult to implement something out of it. So there is we need maybe more simplification and identification of one single substances that work. And to have a strong focus on that, that would help. For some substances like bacteriophages, I would say here we have a low interest in the research globally. There is a very good uh, evidence of work from Georgia. They were using Mm -hmm. bacteriophages since many decades uh, also as uh, antibiotics uh, we use for treatments of diseases, but somehow it doesn't come to the taking it up and just provide more research and, and see how those substances can replace antibiotics even as a treatment, because the potential is there. We just need to dip deeper in it. Of course, there is there are other reasons, like some research available is still not used in the commercial scale. So to make this connection and link would also support uh, to use more innovative substances. It is also important uh, that we have solutions that are easy to use. So if the solutions require special condition during the storage or special protection in the feed, it just makes everything also complicated. Easy-use solutions are also need to be developed to provide a substance into the use on the commercial scale. And, of course, there are some regulatory boundaries. So... I know from the research side, we identify um, very innovative substances and we are like really motivated. Let's do something with that. It's a very great antimicrobial uh, potential in there. But then we identify, oh, the substance is not mentioned in any of the feed material or feed um, additives register. And this is a barrier to overcome, to bring it into use. So I think the To make this barrier a bit smaller, to have a better drive on the substances, on the research and on the innovation will support, uh, of course, the process and the availability of uh, solutions on the global scale for commercial use.
0: You're listening to Fair Conversations. I'm Philippa Thornton, and today I'm joined by Dr. Natalia Roth and Dr. Kristin Raya. We're discussing farming after antibiotics. And as you touched on earlier, Kristen, we've seen antibiotic usage come down. What role have alternatives to antibiotics played in this reduction?
1: Again, I think going back to Natalia's point, it's not just substituting something else in. It's been taking a holistic view of the situation and of the management, of the farming environment, of how vets might prescribe or what they might think you know automatically to reach for an antibiotic when maybe they don't need it just yet or helping farmers to really Take a confident approach, you know, as as you do if you have a viral infection that's happened in human medicine as well, right? When my child has an ear infection and I call up the doctor, they start to give me a spiel about, well, most ear infections are viral and they don't need antibiotics. And I'm like, yes, I know about that. Definitely I'm on board with you. (laughs) So really take a watchful waiting approach sometimes or a delayed prescription. And you'll find that a lot of animals will get better on their own, just like my child with a viral ear infection gets better on his own chicken soup, staying in bed, relaxing a little bit. You know, there are those sort of supportive care things that we can do. So I think it's been working with vets and farmers, establishing that this can be done. So in our own veterinary practice, we really looked at these critically important antimicrobials back in 2008, 2009, and said, we don't really need to be using these. These should be reserved for babies in the neonatal ICU. Do we need to use them in farming our animals and kind of took a really hard look at that and thought, well, what can we go to? What other frontline treatments or how can we improve management? How can we improve biosecurity and just make sure that animals are as healthy as they can be? Nutritionally supported, that they're vaccinated to prevent against disease and really just thinking about all those other things so that we never got to the point where they were ill and they needed a treatment because as Natalia said, quite often it is You know, there's a place for antibiotics in that therapeutic role, but addressing all of the other issues that come before we get to the need for antibiotics and we want them to be there for animal welfare, so that we can treat them if they're needed. But what we want to do is to prevent the need for them in the first place. And that's what the UK has done really well. We've done it in a very participatory, voluntary fashion. So there hasn't been a government mandate. There have been no bans on these medicines, but there have kind of been a voluntary ban when the veterinarians and the farmers have talked together and looked at the research. So the research that we showed is we remove these highest priority, critically important antimicrobials from our treatment of animal in our veterinary practice and we monitored their production and we monitored their health and we monitored their welfare parameters and they all got better or at least stayed the same. Farmers didn't come to us and say, oh no, my cow's not curing now that you didn't give it that other high priority, critically important antimicrobial you used to they did just as well. And so we gave some confidence and some evidence that we could farm without these antibiotics. And so then that's led to the vets themselves and the farmers saying, we don't need to use these. And there's real power in that, I think, from the bottom up, from the ground up, having farmers go around to other people's farms. Some of the work we've done is peer-to-peer learning techniques where we've taken farmers onto other farms and the farmer they went to points out, you know, this is how I keep my calves healthy. I put jackets on them in the winter when it's cold so they don't get too cold and make sure they have enough milk, they have enough feed so that they're well supported and then they don't get pneumonia so I don't need to reach for an antibiotic. Sharing that best practice amongst farmers, amongst veterinarians has been really important in the the great struggle that the UK has made in this area
0: in terms of perhaps digging down a little bit in terms of the difference between species approaches is there is there a difference there there are
1: definitely species approaches that are different but I think it's It's also been even within those species. So we have the Responsible Use of Medicines and Agriculture Alliance, and that covers all of the different livestock species. And so we've gotten the game bird people Mm -hmm. to talk to other game bird people about how they treat game birds and the salmon people to talk to other salmon people about how they treat salmon. And sometimes we bring the dairy people in to talk to the salmon people because maybe there is some shared learning about vaccination or about marketing or about something else that can really be shared. But I think overall, the way that we've set this up in the UK as well, having those different sectors, they brought their data together, then they could look at the data to see how much they were really using. And we've done that elsewhere in the world as well. And once you start having people collect up just empty bottles or empty tubes, the farmers themselves say, oh, man, I never realized how much this was. You know, once you start recalling things Mm -hmm. that are out of date and really taking a good hard look at it, and let's face it. How, how many of us don't have some antibiotic we never used up that's stashed in our bathroom cabinet? You know, farmers have these on farm as well because they're needing them to treat animals. Just bringing that up and having those conversations, I think, has been so important.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you. Also, at a global level as well, we've seen across other countries, apart from the UK, that antibiotic usage is, is coming down. Natalia, anything to add?
2: Yes, um, we were looking on this uh, global scale. What happens with antibiotic use and antibiotic resistance. I think it is important before providing the solution to understand the problem really well to understand it in two different dimensions. What happens in countries? Where are the major producing countries what Which problems do they have? How do they react? What do they do? This is one part and of, another part is the adapt of the problem to provide solutions. Understanding the mode of action on a microbial level, like what happens with the cell wall of bacteria if you provide antibiotic or alternative, just to really have this proper understanding. And during the process of my um, activities, I have uh, learned and had good insights into antibiotic use. So what happened here? In general, I agreed right with uh, Chris and there are two drivers. First is the regulatory driver, so there is a ban. Like we had antibiotic growth promoter ban in uh, Europe 2006 and the US 2017 in China 2020. So there is a very clear restriction. This antibiotic substance or this application in this case cannot be used. And that was the case. This indeed leads to a strong reduction of antibiotic use. And I think we can learn from it for many countries that antibiotic growth promoters can really be not used at all. So we do not need antibiotic growth promoters to grow animals. Another part of how antimicrobial consumption can be reduced is, is voluntary part, communication, education. And one bigger part is the consumer pressure. So if the consumer doesn't want to have antibiotics and they want to buy meat where we have non-antibiotics ever, like we have the situation in the US that the, the, more than the 50% of chicken meat is produced without any antibiotics, also not ionophores, not because of the regulation so, so much, but it is more driven by the need of the market and where um, producers have decided and also due to the education and voluntary efforts to take antibiotics out. So in generally, I see that the use of antibiotics globally we have a strong reduction in many many countries in European Union we have a re- achieved reduction by um, around 30%, 34% from 2015 to 2019. We see a very strong reduction in highest priority, critically important antibiotics. I think polymixin's reductions is like 70%, So, which is really great. It's a big effort from a producer side to take out these substances and to use something with different approaches, This is one, but also the US. Reduction of use is very clearly, is very well monitored. So it was also over 30% reduction. And of course, China. The ban in 2020, we could uh, see in the industry providing the solutions that those solutions were really needed to support the industry. And this is how we identify, okay, there is a need to support. And we are really happy to provide uh, those solutions and to contribute to the sustainability, to our one of our sustainability goals and to reduce uh, antimicrobial resistance.
1: I totally agree with you, Natalia. And I think it's, you know, thinking about how we can work together, how we can learn from other countries and what we can do and the education piece and the thinking about how do we make these changes. We work with farmers in Thailand, looking at their antimicrobial usage and looking at antimicrobial resistance and seeing what the drivers are there and worked with one meat producing company that said, you know, we we heard about this problem with antimicrobial use. So we just thought we'd withdraw them all because we didn't want to be contributing to antimicrobial resistance. Uh-oh. And then a lot of the chickens died because we didn't sort out our house and sort out all the things that we needed to before we just withdrew them. And so I think it's making sure that, animal welfare is underpinned and that that is really what's driving, which is why farmers farm in large part. And they want to see healthy animals. They want to see animals thriving. You know, They didn't get up at the crack of dawn and go to bed late at night to raise animals that are poorly kept. They really care about their animals and they want them to be well. And so giving them the tools and the technologies and the understanding about how we do that well. And that's sometimes you know you hear the pressure from the media and you hear oh we want bans on all of these things and we want absolutely no antimicrobials used at all well if you're if you're going to eat meat and animal products then you have to be looking out for their welfare so i think it's important to be able to balance that as you said and and address the whole system rather than just trying to remove one part of the system that you know has been a part of the system for a long time you can't just pull it out without having other things to take up the place and make the difference that it was making there
0: yeah, I think that's that's a really great point, Kristen. And in terms of how you help support farmers then with that transition, once those bans may have come into place, you know, around growth promotion, around the one coming in next year with prophylaxis in the EU, how do you then improve the knowledge and the awareness of farmers, particularly, I think, in the emerging markets context? You know, what barriers do they face to the adoption of some of these alternatives? What concerns do they have?
1: I've already mentioned the money concern and, you know, they are businesses. (laughs) And so, although they love their animals and they want them to be well – I feel the same about my hamsters, but my hamsters are not a business, right? <laughs> They're just my children's pet. And so I know there will be crying in tears, but we will still be able to eat if something bad happens to the hamsters. So I think it's, it's recognizing that and having consumers and all of us put our money where our mouth is. If we want high welfare, if we want antimicrobial usage to go down, that we need to support farmers in other ways, right? And make sure that they have the tools and they have the ability to be able to do that. And I think then it is, Working together with them, as Natalia was saying, meeting them where they are, understanding what the problems are on their individual farms. And so our work really shows that that relationship with their veterinarian, especially in countries like the UK, where the veterinarian is the prescriber, you should not be able to get antibiotics by any other route for your animals rather than going through a veterinarian. So the veterinarians are the gatekeepers and those veterinarians need to be going onto farms and are looking at animals and are understanding the situation. And sometimes a veterinarian's advice is you need to use more antibiotics because you've got an outbreak of disease. You need to be making sure that these animals are well treated, but really building that relationship between the veterinarian and the farmer and making sure that the veterinarian who has many years of training about the use of these antibiotics and when they should be used and when they shouldn't be used to make sure that those animals are as healthy as possible.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you. So really sort of cementing the role of the veterinarian in this farmer-veterinarian relationship. Natalia, on the role that companies can play in helping farmers shift from sort of high usage antibiotic farming systems.
2: I agree with Kristen here again. Uh, Communication is the key. Mm -hmm. We need to understand what really happens. Where are the problems? Because it's... Without understanding a clear picture where is the problem, it's not possible to provide a proper solution that works. So to take the time to understand it proper is the key to talk with the veterinarian as well as the nutritionist. Because from the nutritional perspective, it's also a lot of information available. What can, what can be improved? To identify that and with identification of the problem maybe to back it up with again modern technologies to understand okay what is the shift of the microbiota so what do we see from the data here and uh, identifying that provide a tailored solution that works and then to go with the farm through the solution to see how it works to measure it to back it up with different methodologies to measure and to see the outcome and if the result works we are Extremely happy, both animal producers and we providing a solution to see that the work was done. So, in many cases, we were able to remove antibiotic use and to reduce this. And in many cases, the approach was to go step by step in some farms that use a lot of antibiotics it was difficult just to remove it all there was a risk and we didn't want to have a risk because farmers want to keep their animals healthy as christian steps so just to go there's three ways step by step let's remove one part another stage another part and then we do not have any antibiotics and we see kind of a release yeah we can do it it works so that's um there is a possibility and we're extremely happy to support
1: There isn't a magic bullet. And I think we all want that, right? If we're dieting, we just want to take a pill. We don't want to have to work hard and exercise and change the way we eat and do all these other things to lose weight. We want a magic bullet, but there isn't a magic bullet. And antibiotics might have seemed like that for some time, but now we're running into the problems with that. And so we can't consider them as that and we probably won't find another easy solution, as Natalia said. It's a lot of working together and understanding the systems and being able to address all of those different parts of the system.
0: Great. It sounds like what we're really sort of coming to here is the need for this really bottom up engagement approach to antibiotic usage on farms, which I think is really great. Before I let you guys go, uh just have one last question. So in looking ahead to the future, where do you think that we're headed? I'll... Oh, Come to you first, Kristen.
1: I think we're headed to good places. I think that there is there's a growing awareness, and I guess I would encourage listeners to learn about their food, learn about where their food comes from, talk to farmers. Don't just blame. Don't just think, oh, they're you know not doing the right thing. I think go on farms. Open Farm Sunday is something we have in the UK that allows people to go and walk around farms understand the systems and understand as much as you can about where your food comes from and really think about how much it's worth to you you know at the end of the day you might not have used your television but you definitely ate to stay alive that day and so it's important to be thinking about that and and to be talking with veterinarians with farmers with other people about these issues I think that what we do find is that farmers are really engaged and veterinarians obviously are also very engaged and they want to do something. They know this is an issue. They know it's something that they want to be dealing with in their systems. And they want to be talking to people about the good job that they're doing as well. Don't always believe the headline, you know, maybe look a bit below the headline and see what else is going on and really see how you can be a part of the solution. I think as Natalia said, there's regulation and that does bring about change but there's also responsabilization so everybody taking individual responsibility for the choices that they make and that as well can bring about a lot of change i think there are exciting things on the on the horizon you know it is amazing as i said before about how quickly we've developed vaccines and tests and other things how science has really moved us on out of a bad situation. And I think science is continuing to address these issues as well. And we will have better alternatives and we will have better vaccines and we will have better diagnostics and we will have access to data that as Natalia said, we can use to predict when disease is gonna happen and do something about it before it ever happens. So we don't need to use an antibiotic. I think there are lots of opportunities and lots of exciting things on the horizon that that will move
2: us forward in this space. Natalia? Um, I think it is really a need of stronger research on alternatives for antibiotics for treatment. And I know that there are many activities ongoing. And uh, I do believe there will be even more efforts in this direction because antibiotics are so important. We cannot imagine the life antibiotics, not only for animals, but for humans, of course. What would it be so important? Antibiotics are very valuable. We need to keep their activities and alternatives are highly appreciated. So uh, I think need is really high. The, there will be a lot of research uh, in this direction. And uh, I also agree with the uh, development of novel technologies so that we can have easy to use technologies to use in every farm to predict many things before occurrence, to have the better control what happens, just to prevent. I think prevention is easier as treatment always. Work on the prevention and also implementation because research is partly already conducted and we have already solutions available for such purpose, just implementation. And very important part is the communication. I think because there are Some countries are very progressed, like taking the European map, right? We have Northern European countries like Sweden and Norway with really low antibiotic use. And the prevalence of antibiotic resistance is also very on the very low level. And we have countries with really high uh, prevalence of antibiotic resistance. So, you know, this communication, because we know it works. We just need to see, okay, how did they do it? What was done? What was the support? And maybe take the possibilities uh, that were implemented and implemented in other countries, I don't know, with similar climate, similar conditions, and uh, there's strong communication, not only uh, on, on the research and commercial side, but also with them, like researchers, industry association, governments and other stakeholders. So we, sh- we can reduce um, antibiotic resistance, and we need to work together collectively to make it a reality.
0: Thank you, Natalia. And thank you both for joining me today. It's been great to have you with us and it's been great to hear your perspectives as well on this issue. And I found it personally really interesting and I've learned some new things. So this has been this has been great. Thank you very much for inviting us. I'm very happy to contribute.
1: Yeah, thanks very much for having us. And it's been fantastic to have a great conversation around this area.
0: Thanks for listening to this edition of Fair Conversations with me, Philippa Thornton, Dr. Natalia Roth and Dr. Christian Raya. FAIR's report, Feeding Resistance, Antimicrobial Stewardship in the Animal Health Industry is out now and available to members for free and to non-members for purchase at fair.org.